Welcome, friends. You found the Out of the Ordinary podcast. I'm Lisa Jo Baker. And I'm Christy Purifoy. And this is the place where we believe that the very best stories grow out of the soil of ordinary life. A few of my favorite ordinary things are hitting snooze on the alarm clock, hot coffee with heavy cream, and a new local cafe with great writing spots. Lisa Joe, I love wrapping up in a cozy cardigan, going for long walks on cold afternoons, and warming up around a real fire. All right, friends, here's today's conversation. Get comfy. Here we go. This week, I'm going to tell a story about brokenness in my childhood home, and I'll tell you, I feel nervous about it. Well, Lisa Joe, I'm going to tell a story about ashes on my little girl's forehead. Which is intentional because today is Ash Wednesday, and so I'm glad, Christy, that you are, I feel like our guide through the church's calendar is going to help (laughs) us set the scene about what today is about through story, as we do. Yeah, well, I don't know how well equipped I am to to guide everyone through this, but it's true that we as a family do worship in a more liturgical church, and so for quite a few years now, we have um, observed Ash Wednesday as a family. And one thing I love about my church, while they have the more formal, traditional Ash Wednesday service, they also have a special, they call it the family service. They have a family Ash Wednesday service, and they change things up a little bit. They gather in a smaller room. Um, I think at the end or at some point, there's food involved, so they feed the kids. And they also change some of the language to explain what's happening and and put it more at, at a child's level. So for the past few years, we have participated in that service. But so I have four kids, but my younger two for a number of years would go with us, you know, eat the pizza, whatever. But then they would tell me um, when the time came, mom, I don't want him to do that to me. (laughs) And what they meant is they were watching what was happening and they didn't want our priest or, or one of the pastors to smudge their foreheads and put the black mark the black cross of ashes on their foreheads and where are those ashes coming from like for those of us who aren't always familiar with what the liturgical calendar means Mm -hmm. like are those just like random ashes like we're we're getting it out of the fire pit like what's the story there? yeah that that because this is the first this is how we enter into the season of lent which is that 40 so 40 odd days where we in essence as christians sort of pattern uh, this season after Jesus's 40 days in the wilderness. It's 40 days of often fasting and preparation for the Easter season, right? Um, but we begin with this imposition, this imparting of the ashes on the forehead. And the ashes actually, they they really tie a circle through the whole year because the ashes are traditionally made by burning the palm branches from the previous year's Palm Sunday service. So, many churches do this where they reenact that moment of the triumphal entry a week before um, before the resurrection when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the donkey and He was greeted with those hosannas and people waving branches and, and welcoming Him to the city welcoming him home in a way, right? With these greetings of, you know, really honoring him as a king and a Messiah. And so, we reenact that in our churches on Palm Sunday, and then we save those and we burn them down, and the ashes of those palms become the mark for the next year's Ash Wednesday. Isn't that meaningful? It's very powerful. Yeah, it's one of the things I love about the church calendar is that it 
it weaves these stories through a year. So it, it ties last Easter and last Lent with, with this year's experience in a way that I think is really meaningful. And it comes from this idea of the ashes, right? That phrase, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Mm-hmm. That's actually, I mean, that's a scripture verse. That's right. It's a day to remember our mortality, to remember our great need. And I think that's why the whole idea of a Children's Ash Wednesday service is complicated. So my my younger because children— it's coming from it's coming from Genesis 3, uh-huh. verse 19. And so, just so the context of this verse is God has now— it's so tragic. It's so tragic. Adam and Eve, here they are in this perfect garden. Mm-hmm. Last week, we talked about the limit God has imposed on the garden, that they're not to eat from this tree. And of course, they don't trust that limit. They don't trust God. They eat from the tree. Sin enters the world. And really, actually, in an act of love to protect them from, in their sinful state, partaking in this tree and then living forever in sin, um, God takes them out of the garden. Mm-hmm. I mean, the King James talks about how he casts them out, which is so painful. And I have always thought of it as painful from Adam and Eve's perspective, but I'm sure it was painful to God, who had created this paradise and loved them so much. And so, in Genesis three nineteen, they are taken out of the garden, and then there's this line that says, and this is the good old King James, in the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. Mm-hmm. From ashes to ashes, from dust to dust. And mm-hmm. so, this recognition that God breathed life into Adam out of the mm-hmm. dirt, out of the dust, and that one day he's now recognizing you will return to what you became. Mm-hmm. So, there's this really deep, hard message about mm-hmm. having that ash put on your forehead. It's a very literal experience mm-hmm. of being reminded about what is inevitable for yeah. all of us. And actually, I'm glad you gave that context because it reminds me as well that it's not, death is not <laughs> the punishment here exactly. It's more complicated that, than that. There is some gift in it. So, in removing them from the garden, he was taking the first steps toward the ultimate rescue plan, right? right. He, but the rescue plan would carry them through death. Right. And of course, ultimately, it would carry the Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, through death. But fortunately, death is, is not the end of the story. So, that mark, that smudge on the forehead is devastating and hopeful. It's mm-hmm. both. It's both. But I don't know that I was ever really aware of that tension until taking my children to the Children's Ash Wednesday service. So, for a couple of years, my younger kids had had refused, and that was fine. We weren't going to force it. They were there with us for the service, and then when it came time to go up and get ashes on their little sweet foreheads, <laughs> they said no, and they were nervous about that. So, it was fine. They would just go up with me, and I would get the ashes, and our priest Father Richard would just pray for them and pray a blessing over them. But the first year that Elsa, my youngest, did get the ashes, it was actually kind of a mistake. She told me going up, Mom, I don't want to do that. I said, that's fine. And I went up with her for her to be prayed for. And I think I got distracted at the last minute or I was interrupted. Something happened up front. And before I could sort of explain or make an appropriate gesture, I don't know, cover her forehead, whatever I was going to do, our pastor gave her the ashes on her forehead. And and she she's sweet. She just stood there. She didn't cry. <laughs> she didn't fall apart. But 
before I was ready for it, before she was ready for it, she had this big black smudge of a cross on her forehead. And I had not prepared her for it, really. I hadn't, I was not prepared for it. And so I was surprised at how much it bothered me to see that ugly, it looked ugly, to see that ugly mark on her forehead. Of course, I had one on my head too, but to be honest, I don't ever look at it until I go to bed that night and I go to wash my face. And then it's like, oh, right, that, because it it marks me, but I can't see it. I'm not aware of it. But looking at my youngest child, my beautiful little girl with her perfect child face, right? No blemish on it all promise so far from death and see that mark of death on her dust Mm. and to know like even she of course even she is marked by this human story even she will one day return to dust is a lot (laughs) on a february wednesday night with your family to take in it is it is a lot i i'm grateful that you describe it that way, I think the mark is intended to do that. It's an outward symbol of an inward spiritual reality that there's a death that happens Mm -hmm. in each of us. And then the ash smudge is in the shape of a cross intentionally because Mm -hmm. it's Christ's death that rescues us, that liberates us from the story of people destined to die because through Christ we get to live. But I think for a lot of us, though, we live with that internal death, that that mm. broken thing that yeah. has marked us, but yeah. nobody can see it. Yeah. And there's something about this Wednesday when that mark is actually visible to everybody around us. Yeah. And it does feel awkward. I remember I went with you last year for the first time to an Ash Wednesday service. And I remember feeling self-conscious because we went out for lunch afterwards. Oh, you yeah. and I and another friend. <laughs> yeah. and we walk into this like essentially like bar restaurant because it, <laughs> it was the only thing near us. And we all have like this black ash on our foreheads. And I remember just feeling super self-conscious because you guys were parking the car. I had gone in to get a table and like everybody turned around and looked at me. (laughs) And I wanted to put my hand up and just cover my forehead and wipe it off surreptitiously or try to explain it. And so often though, Christy, that has felt like my actual life. That's how it's felt, that there are these stories I carry, these broken memories and moments that I feel ashamed of, that I don't want to tell other people that I'm not sure how to tell them. I feel like even in our conversations and you and I that have this deep trusted friendship, often when I get off, I can, you know, when we're done recording If I'm not careful, there can be a shame that wells up in me. And I think to myself, why am I so broken? Like, what is wrong with me? You know, even last week or the week before, you and I were talking, and sometimes you will respond to something I've shared with, I I don't have words. I don't know what to say. And then I feel like, what's wrong with me? Why am I so dysfunctional? Like, why are all these dysfunctional stories in my life? And what's hard about broken things is it can make us feel ashamed especially if we don't understand why. Like, why mm-hmm. is my story so different than your story? Mm-hmm. Like, it doesn't seem fair. Like, mm-hmm. why is that? And why do I have to carry this as part of who I am? Why mm-hmm. do I have this mark on me that people can't see all the time, but I'm aware of? And I can see it because I see how my family has shaped out of it. That mark continues down through the generations. 
if we're not careful, brokenness can be something that we pass on. Mm -hmm. And so it's why this year, when I think about Easter, I'm just very, very, very grateful for God who didn't just have ash on his forehead, who actually came and climbed into our skin so that he could enter fully into our brokenness. Mm -hmm. He came and brought all of his redemption into our shame. And then he, from the inside out, (laughs) walked through the brokenness in order to give us wholeness, true shalom. Like Mm -hmm. the Hebrew word means a wholeness in right relationship with one another and with God. Mm. And it helps me feel better about sharing some of these stories. And I wanted, though, today to share some of the broken stories because I know Everybody listening has one. We Mm -hmm. all do. And whether we wear it as a visible mark or it's something we tuck into the back of our hearts, sort of the attic or the basement of our hearts where we don't ever go, Mm -hmm. we don't look at it directly, we know it's there. And so we've spent the last few weeks journeying from our childhood homes to a recognition that there are limits in these places that we come from that God, I think, uses for our abundance to today where we recognize the brokenness that often shapes our homes. And I think we have to look at it. We Mm -hmm. have to acknowledge it because if we don't If we don't feel broken, we don't need somebody to come and make us whole. Mm -hmm. And that's really the beauty of Christ is He's saying, listen, I'm not scared of your broken places, and I'm not embarrassed of you, Mm -hmm. and I'm going to sit with you right there, and I'm going to love you. So for me, there are really these two moments in my life. And Christy and I were talking before today's conversation about, is this a conversation about brokenness, or is this conversation about emptiness, that there are two different sides to how we understand what Christ is doing when He comes. And maybe before I talk about why it feels like brokenness to me, Christy, you could share a bit about emptiness, Mm because that's how you experience this Easter season, which is Mm -hmm. a little different than how I do. Right. I think, um, yeah, as I head into Lent, and I think, what does my spiritual practice look like in these weeks, my prayers? I do often focus on cultivating a kind of emptiness within myself because I know that ordinary life, which we celebrate here on the podcast, can be a full and busy life. And we can be so filled up with activity and commitments and go, go, go and doing our things and um, following our normal patterns that we often need a season that forces us to set some things down, to create space, either through fasting or letting go of certain commitments or whatever it is, some way to create space to cultivate emptiness, to let go of some things so that there is room for more of God, so that there's room for more healing, so that there's quiet space to to pay attention to things that might have cracked and we didn't even realize. Or So yeah, I think a metaphor that often speaks to me at this time of year is the metaphor of hunger, of longing for more, of wanting to be filled, of wanting to receive more. Um, but before 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 you feast, it's good to fast. Before you feast, it's good to not eat in order to create room for the ultimate feast, in order to even understand what kind of feast you need and what will really satisfy. And so, um, that, is, that is the approach I bring to, to Lent. Um, but I think, and I think it's, it is related to this question of brokenness. It is, because I think something that can happen when we create that space and when we quiet ourselves is that we are perhaps made aware of some broken places where we maybe need to do some repair work or ask for forgiveness or 
change, repent, right? That's what repent means, like, you know, kind of turn around, go a different way, right? So they are connected, um, but you're mm-hmm. right that they're not exactly the same thing, are they? And I like that they're connected because I think there are two different ways to approach the season. And I think as someone who wants to journey toward wholeness, who mm-hmm. is looking for wholeness, um, it's good to realize that God does offer this other way of emptying ourselves so that He can fill us. But for some of us, He might first have to heal us before we can do that because we mm-hmm. feel broken. Yeah. And for me, there are these two defining moments that I was describing to Christy earlier actually feel like cracks, mm. like a bone got actually broken and got snapped. Or if it's a family tree, it's like a branch got actually broken off in a storm. We had a wild storm here a few nights ago, and there's a huge tree limb lying out on our grass. And I I have moments that register like that for yeah. me in my story. Um, and the first one for me is when my mom was diagnosed with leukemia. And interestingly enough, it's not actually her death that was the moment for me. The crack really came in that disruption of a life I had been living as a child who experienced her life as a place of safety and security, of parents, of loving church community, who didn't really have to ask big or hard questions about her life. I I was a child who thought like a child, and until the night came when my father shared my mom's diagnosis with us and told us she was leaving to go to hospital, that was such a dramatic crack in really the the tectonic plates of my life that looking back, it's never healed. I mean, the crack is still there. I can see it. it. Nothing changes that. That's a forever moment that redefines who you are and how you understand your life. And because of that crack, it then set into motion a lot of other things that led to other cracks mm-hmm. and pains down. So it's as if an earthquake has happened and now there's all these different shifts. And so the ground is unstable in places and there are places where sinkholes can open up and swallow you up and you had no idea because you didn't plan the earthquake and you didn't ask for it and it's nobody's fault. It's just a reality that happens. And it was such a massive one for me. So We got my mom's diagnosis. She's gone for the next two years. She passes away. She passed away in September. In December, I graduated high school and went overseas to travel and to stay with some of my mom's family in Holland, other family of hers in Germany. I kind of went on this pilgrimage to go and spend time with all of the people she was related to as an act of sorrow and recovery. But what happened while I was gone, and this was the second huge crack in my story, is that my father, and I think if I'm giving a gracious reading of this story in his own grief and his own brokenness, didn't know how to function in that space. And it ended up meeting somebody who took advantage of the stage he was in. And instead of saying, wait, I don't think you're ready for a relationship three months after your wife died, um, they got married while I was overseas. I had never met her. Um, She very much wanted to move into this lifestyle of being married to a doctor. And um, they sold the house that I've talked about the last two episodes. That was my mom's dream house. The house got sold. Everything of my mom's was given away. And I came home six months after I'd left to a brand new house, brand new mother, and a brand new stepbrother. And that crack, that echoed then for, I feel like, generations. It, It was so dramatic And so profound, it was like losing your mom, and then it was another loss on top of that because it felt like losing your dad and his identity as your mom's husband and losing your mom's 
teaspoons, like weird things like that, mm-hmm. you know, losing her pictures, mm-hmm. losing her music, losing her um, presence in the house, losing her clothes, just everything related mm-hmm. to her was so dramatic in that moment. And clearly highly dysfunctional. That relationship did not last. It wasn't, (laughs) nothing Mm -hmm. about it was healthy from beginning to end. Um, But as children, we were the ones who had to bear it. Mm -hmm. We we were the ones who had no say, no voice. Um, My brothers, I mean, they were there and were at the wedding. And I told my dad I wasn't coming home. I mean, I had these plans. I had plane tickets booked and he couldn't wait. Like he wouldn't wait till I was destined to come home. And I told him I wasn't coming back for that. I didn't want to see it. I didn't want to participate in it, but my brothers did. And, um, you know, those are the cracks in a story that can derail you for years, for decades, mm-hmm. to try to figure out as you emerge from that, what does this say about me? And why did this happen? What does it say about my dad? And what on earth does it say about God? You mm-hmm. know, like, what is he thinking? How could he allow this to happen? How could my home be so broken and so painful? And I don't think we process that all at once. Mm-hmm. Because we continue with our lives, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we mm-hmm. go to college then and we have friends and we date people and we go to new churches and those breaks, for me, I experienced it like just every now and again, I would step out and there'd be no ground. I would just drop into a sinkhole mm. and then realize, oh, wow, like here's a repercussion I haven't dealt with yet. And I don't think there's any part of my life that wasn't impacted by it. And there have definitely been seasons where I felt very, very angry, like how is this my story? And then I have had other seasons where I think to myself, um, just the the relief, the relief that I believe in a God who understands actually from the inside out what that's like. I mean, everything about Jesus's life comes with a lot of dysfunction and brokenness. Like he's born into this place where his mom is constantly, there's aspersions cast on her faithfulness mm-hmm. to his dad. Right. You know, he was the guy who wasn't necessarily called Joseph's son. You know, he was Mary's son, which mm-hmm. implies there's question about his paternity. Um, you know, he's born and then there's a massacre. A genocide happens because of his birth. All these baby boys are, you know, completely annihilated because of him. His parents are refugees. He grows up in a small town where everybody knows each other's business. And and then a lot of people think he's crazy when he goes into his ministry yeah. and are basically like, who do you think you are? Right, like, you're a right. lunatic. And I got to tell you, Christy, it's such a relief. It's yeah. a relief to me. It's yeah. like, I don't even say it's a comfort or joy. Like, I wouldn't use those words. To me, it's just pure relief right. that God, when he says that he moved into the neighborhood, that's for real. Like, mm. he became a person in every way you can be a person. He lived shame. He mm-hmm. was born into a narrative that would have felt very shameful to mm-hmm. people in his family. And he embodies our shame from the inside out so that we don't have to be ashamed anymore. Mm-hmm. And then he takes all of our sin and all of our despair and all of our brokenness, and he says to his disciples, this is my body broken for you. Like, he acknowledges it. And I think what I've struggled with a lot as an adult, when I think about my story, is why is it so broken? And it's so mm-hmm. embarrassing that it's so broken. And mm-hmm. I hate that it's so broken. And why do I still have those broken parts cut me still sometimes? Yeah. Like I'm still discovering new ways yeah. to be hurt by them. Um, and so whenever I feel that way, I just think, 
oh, thank God. Like, thank God that he knows how that feels. Mm. So I don't even have a nice bow to tie this up with other than to just say, in this season of Easter, as we look at Jesus walking home, right, mm-hmm. traveling toward Jerusalem, but his ultimate, his ultimate destination is beyond that, mm-hmm. he has to walk this path through the heart of the heart yeah. of brokenness yeah. first. There's no shortcut for him. Right. He doesn't get an exception. He's not an exception to the rule. He has to walk through a kind of brokenness that's so intense. Most of us will never face that in our lives, yeah. but he does. And it's. I think it's the only reason I can worship him. Mm. I just can't imagine giving my whole life for a God who doesn't know mm-hmm. what it's like to have those cracks through your story. Mm-hmm. I think, honestly, Lisa Joe. In a way, it's good that there is no bow to tie on it because this kind of brokenness, these broken stories aren't only, they aren't limited to our pasts. I mean, you're, mm. the big ones for you are these childhood broken places, but we don't know what tomorrow will bring. I think, I think I want to acknowledge here that one of the beautiful things to me about your stories is that you have stories that, um, for various reasons, you can tell. They belong to you, first of all, even though other people are in them as well, but they belong to you. I know that as well, God has done so much work in your father so that he has told you, like, share our story, like, let it remind people of the healing that is possible. And so, you know, you've you've received permission and not that, again, we won't do you need it to share these stories or not? I don't know, but but you have received blessing to share these stories. But there are people who are living broken stories, and they there is no freedom there to to mm. share it. And so I think um, just I guess that's just one mercy I identify in your own broken stories is that there's some things you're able to share that I know bring hope to others. You know, and I'll say as well, like I you're right that I don't have those kinds of childhood stories that I share on this podcast. But of course, like I'm in my 40s, I'm married, I'm parenting teenagers. There are certainly <laughs> broken <laughs> narratives that that I too could trace, you know, for people, but they might be things I'm living now or struggles that um, I'm only navigating now. Or I think many people listening will relate to things that maybe that are challenging with um, kids or family that are just not stories we can tell. And that that's fine. But the stories that are meant to be shared, I just think there's something extra precious about them. And the stories you share with us about your mom, about your childhood, about the brokenness are, I don't know what it is, Lisa Joe, extra special somehow, extra, like I don't see shame, anything shameful. I see something so beautiful because you offer these up um, to others, not in, not because it's easy, because I know what it costs you to tell these stories, and not because it necessarily makes you feel better. I think the healing that God gives you, He gives you in private, and yet when He invites you into these spaces to share, you you say yes, as hard as it is and as much as it costs, you say yes. And um, and I know that blesses people who are listening. I know that gives them new eyes to see their own broken stories. I know it does that for me as a mom, <laughs> mm. right? It, it That's a gift to me as well. So I guess I just want to acknowledge that you're not the only one. <laughs> Your stories are uniquely yours, and they're uniquely precious. 
Um, but we know that there are many stories that could be told in a similar vein, and yet, and yet they can't be told. But the right. hope you offer and the hope you point us toward, because that's what you do, right? You point us toward the healer. You point us to the one who makes us whole. That part of the story applies to all of us. And it gives me hope even for, you know, maybe some of the threads in my own life where I don't yet see like, oh my goodness, how are, I feel like we're going off the rails here in parenting. How far off will we go, you know? But you share stories like this and I know, wow, you know what? Even if we go completely off the rails, God will be there too. <laughs> His comfort will be there too. <laughs> you cannot, what does the scripture say? We cannot run so far that He hasn't gone before. And your story to me testifies to that, that, I mean, how completely off the rails must it have seen, seemed that moment when you come home to this new house and this new quote unquote mom, and yet God did not leave you in that place. He did not leave your family in that place. He did not leave your father in that place. And that's really encouraging, really encouraging. But yeah, I, I just know you're not the only one. And when you tell us what it means to you that Jesus said, my body is broken for you. I give it for you. It reminds me of um, what that means for my own life as well. And here we are. We're just at this beginning of this journey, right? I look forward to more conversations where we don't try to force some happy ending. We don't try to force a bow on things mm. when it isn't time. And that is the gift as well of time. We have time during Lent to grapple with these things. We have time during Lent. We have like 40 plus days to ask these questions and to lean into these hard, hard things um, before we're expected to rejoice. And actually, I can just tell a brief story here. I can remember that one of the hardest Easter's for me was the first Easter after my brother-in-law passed away, because I can remember being in this church where everyone is singing these songs about resurrection and rejoicing, mm. but this was just a couple months after. In fact, I think I can't remember exactly. We buried him in April, so we buried him right around Easter. So we are very much in this place of death, and now you're at church, and it's like white lilies everywhere, and everyone's so happy, and they're saying he is risen, and I'm thinking terribly in my head, so what? What good is that to me today? Right. <laughs> right? Right. I do not feel this. And of course, right. part of your head knows, like, you know, I still, I understand the hope. The hope is more real because it's more necessary. But part of you is also thinking, I cannot feel these feelings today. But of course, because I haven't had the time, right? There hasn't been the time to get to that place. And I think the gift of Lent can be the time to sit in the pain, to sit near to the brokenness mm -hmm. and to um, create space there for God to enter in and to give us um, new glimpses, new understanding and new healing. So I think it's okay. I think it's okay if this conversation seems to end on a point of you know non-resolution. I think it's okay because we'll continue talking through the sharing stories, having these conversations through a whole season of Lent so that when we get to Easter, we are better prepared for what that needs to mean to us this year. We're better prepared to receive the truth of it in the way we need to do this year. You know, I was thinking about um, one of the gifts we give to one another when we're experiencing brokenness mm -hmm. is the willingness to be close, to draw near to somebody else's yeah. brokenness. I've always thought in our friendship, that's been one of the things that's so meaningful to me, that you're a safe place, a place of someone who will sit with me when I am struggling through something. And 
Pete and I have been that to you and John. Mm -hmm. And, you know, our friend that we love so much, the singer Krista Wells, has this beautiful, beautiful song called Come Close Now. And I'm going to read some of the lyrics for us as we end today's episode because I just think there's real power in choosing not to stay away from someone else's brokenness, which I think is our natural inclination. It can be really hard to be close to someone who feels broken. And maybe as we are in this week of entering into the season of Lent, we can just look around to see who is it who's hurting. Is it one of our kids? Is it a relative? Is it a spouse? Is it a friend? Is it us? And we we need to ask somebody to come near. Um, But these are the words I think about when I think about what it means to offer somebody comfort in the middle of terrible pain. Krista says, I'm afraid of the space where you suffer, where you sit in the smoke and the burn. I can't handle the choke or the danger of my own foolish, inadequate words. I'll be right outside if you need me, right outside. What can I bring to your fire? Shall I sing while the roof is coming down? Can I hold you while the flames grow higher? Shall I brave the heat and come close with you now? So we left you to fight your own battle and you buried your hope with your faith because you heard no song of deliverance there on the nights that followed the wake. We never thought to go with you, afraid to ask, what can I bring to your fire? Shall I sing while the roof is coming down? Can I hold you while the flames grow higher? Shall I brave the heat and come close with you now? If you enjoyed today's conversation, won't you take a moment right now, open up that podcast app and look for the subscribe button right next to our podcast profile image. And we think this podcast is best enjoyed with friends. So tell a friend, click share episode in your podcast app and send a friend our link.